welcome fellow traveller to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination. From time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the Vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them. teaching of Jesus, uh, the most famous teaching of Jesus, one might argue, in the Sermon on the Mount. And we are so excited to go further into this today. Stephen, how are you this morning as it happens? Yeah, um, you can see I'm I'm in a light room. I'm not in my shed. I don't have Christmas lights up. I don't have any of that stuff. Uh, And you might even hear some builders drilling away from the outside, but there's a lot of work going on around my house, so I can't um, go into my shed right now. So here we are. And your shed has been proven to maybe be a a cause of allergies, is that right? Well, I don't know. There's been so much dust that it's every time I go (laughs) to the shed, I I spend the evening sneezing. And so I just thought, okay, uh, let's try being in here for a while. (laughs) Particularly for uh, a bit of content that that requires good audio. It's probably good that there's not a flurry of sneezes. I'm a bit annoyed that it's going to be quite echoey, that the sound quality is bad. So I will apologize ahead of time. I'm not on my little podcast microphone or anything like that. Oh, yeah, because you have your whole setup. For those who don't, who only joined through our audio podcast, um, we're missing uh, Stephen's array of comic books, the fairy lights lit up and uh, and his proper podcast setup. Yeah. Well, here we are again in the Sermon on the Mount. We are coming into land over these next few weeks. And we ended last week uh, by looking at uh, ask, seek, and knock, that uh, request of Jesus for us to come to him and ask anything. And then what do we do when those answers don't come? And so if you want to look at the whole subject of unanswered prayer, Um, or indeed anything that arises when we ask the question, well, hang on, when I ask for something, why doesn't it happen? We looked at that last week. And so today will be a little bit of a shorter episode uh, for us Uh, today. We're only looking at a handful of verses uh, because we want to set aside time uh, next week to dig in further into this uh, section that comes later. Let's look at these three or four verses. It's going to be fun. Great. And I'm going to read from David Bentley Hart's translation. And then we're going to get going. Therefore, all such things as you wish men might do to you, so do to them as well. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the path leading away to destruction is broad and open, and there are many who enter by it. For narrow is the gate, and close cramped the path leading away to life. And those who find it are few. That is where we will stop. That's good. Next week is false prophets. So we'll keep that uh, tinderbox going. Uh, This is the beginning of the false prophet section, actually, because he's already talked about the law and the prophets. So, okay. 
So we're right. gonna it's all gonna feed in one to the next, so yeah. as it always does. As it always does. Well, and that's the thing, is that the Sermon on the Mount has been however you view whether whether you view it as one continuous sermon that Jesus gave once or indeed a collection of teachings, which is where we traditionally understand it to be. Yeah. Uh, but as Matthew has written it, it has been edited not as bite-sized pieces, but it is designed to flow. So we went, of course, earlier we went from money to to worry, uh, to yeah. judgment, to essentially offering others uh, to God as well as our own worries and money before that. So it all comes with a context. So it, we'd be we'd be wrong just to cherry pick and just talk of it outside of the context. So uh, Stephen, where should we start? Well, uh, okay. So we this is like the beginning. This this verse twelve is is where the sermon enters its, its final stage. So mm -hmm. all this previous stuff was, was lots of like specific examples. Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, and he covers money and violence and power and sex and all that, all that good stuff that you need to live a socioeconomic political life. And he covers all the bases. And then he, he, he gives a summation. He gives his summary of it. And if you remember, Jesus has always been, his approach to the law is, is always never to add more stuff to it, but rather to go straight for the simple heart of it. And this is what this is here. So he says, essentially, in conclusion or in summation, whatever you wish that others would do to you, you should do this also to them. This is the law and the prophet. So he's summing up his own law right now as well. And of course, it's Jesus isn't inventing this. Like this is also in... The Hebrew scriptures. So he's not just coming in with some new idea that no one's thought of before. He's affirming, yeah, this is this is what the law itself says about itself, that this is the thing. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about you know, how, what we do with this. So uh, that, that this isn't about, sometimes we think of loving others as yourself must be some kind of selfish. It's about being selfish. It's about thinking about yourself first. And and I, I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I think it's more to do with, with empathy. So in fact, even though he's talking about loving yourself, it, it is actually a route to empathy or a route to imagination, to thinking outside. It's like you're thinking outside of your own little world and you're imagining what it might be like to live as someone else. So it's actually a, a kind of an invitation to empathy. Right, like I said, it's not unique to Jesus, this attempt. Um, the school of Hillel, which was one of the major Jewish schools in Jesus' time, they had their students had something that was roughly similar to this. Mm. Uh, Gamma, Gamaliel, who was Paul's teacher, um, and Gamaliel was a contemporary of Jesus. He also said something roughly similar. Um, so it's it's Jesus affirming something that's already present to the people. Yeah. I think we should probably say that right away. In it's case, interesting because. Like you said, I think we often hear that verse, do unto, do unto others as they would do unto you. Yeah. you know, often that gets quoted back at people, often as a kind of retort or uh, a kind of a way of kind of correcting someone's behavior. Right. Um, uh, you know, lo love others as you would love yourself. It, like It's very, again, we go back to this thread that happens all the way through our response to the Sermon on the Mount, which is this very individualistic kind of, yeah. I... I must, I love myself. I must love myself in such a way. And then it causes questions about our own sense of um, what does it mean for us to love ourselves? 
and we kind of get contorted around this because we view it through that individualistic lens. Yeah, we use it as a as a way to say, um, stay in your lane, stay in your patch, don't bug me. Um, like we almost use it. The force of it is used as, as if it's like, um, don't judge me. Don't have any. You, what do you have to say to me? Like, just take care of yourself. And we each just take care of our own selves. We almost use it as a as a weapon or a way to to stop caring about another per- or thinking about another person. Well, and 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 closing down yes. that kind of sense of because it goes back to that conversation around judgment, of course, because we talked about that judgment piece. What Jesus is not saying in "Do not judge others" is not "Do not make moral judgments." But so often now in our cultural dialogue, there that there is an un- there is a feeling that there is that making any kind of moral judgment is to is to judge others. And Jesus obviously is making that distinction in the earlier passage that we looked yeah. at a few weeks ago. But but you're right. Then people. Then people say, yeah. "Well, you know, keep out of my way. Yes. Don't don't judge me. If, do do unto do you know love you if you, if you would you treat me as you treat yourself? Yeah, you know you don't want to be judged, so don't judge me. Uh, but the, so now, what if we think about it in terms of empathy? So rather yeah. than about judgment or or condemnation, what if we thought about it in terms of expanding your imagination? And here, this is somebody like." Uh, again, my my old friend, my old pal, Soren Kierkegaard, is, has talked about this. And I might have mentioned this in the... I know we've been talking for a year, so I might have mentioned this before. But anyway, <laughs> relevant here again. Kierkegaard put a lot of thought into this passage, in these passages, about neighbor love and loving yeah. others as you love yourself. And, you know, he identified different sort of forms of selfishness that happen, or love and selfishness, and how those two interact. And... You know, he, he basically identified two forms of love that are in operation in our world today. And, and one of them would be uh, the love that is for people who are like for like. Have I talked about this before with you, John? I don't think so. Go on. So, so um, there's, lots of, there's lots of forms of love, right? Like, and, and there's lots of different Greek lo- names for love. And there's phileo and erotic love and storge love and all yeah. this types of love okay and then and, and c.s lewis does a great job of kind exactly of... so kierkegaard is well aware of all of them but he actually just boils them down to two right? okay i know there's lots of different types but when it really comes down to it okay one type of love which is the love you have for people who are as much like you as possible so like okay. for like and he calls that passionate preference so if people share your passions so think if you're if you're if you're a kite if you're a member of a kite flying club or something like yeah. You, you have passion because you're sharing the same thing. Yeah. And the more people like the same kind of kites that you like, the more your love grows for them or the more that they like the same sort of motor cars or the more they, they enjoy the same football team and the same players and the same that you do, then your love grows stronger. Okay. So the bonds are like for like. And he calls this, actually kind of confusingly he calls us erotic love or eros he says this is eros because it's all about it's not always sexual by the way but the idea is that think of the way that an erotic relationship is one where you are focused on on one and only one person so you're always it's actually better like erotic love is better if it's only focused on one person as opposed to lots of people so you don't love everybody the way you love your wife and that's good right? You're not supposed to. And when you're infatuated with somebody, you, you're not supposed to be infatuated with everybody. That would yeah. almost be an insult. If you were infatuated with every person you ever met, yeah. then what's the point? It's like yeah. you don't actually think anyone's special. So 
erotic love is this kind of love of like cleaving to to as few people as possible <laughs> basically and the way that you decide who's worthy of your love is that you end up kind of finding things in common or you you, you end up um finding ties that bind you close together with them so it's like for like mm -hmm. and this is the way the world runs so for example this is the way like i said sports teams kind of uh, fandom runs it's the way marriage runs it's the way even friendship so he, he, he includes like phileo love brotherly brotherly love is actually erotic not because it's sexual but because it's about like i like my friend because my friend likes the same things i like because we have so much in common yeah. and this is a really like normal way of thinking about the world and it's not it's just natural it's human this is what humans do and it serves a purpose but of course the ultimate if i'm only liking somebody who's as much like me as possible then the ultimate horizon of that love is me right you you're basically trying to find somebody who's as much like you as possible <laughs> which essentially is a form it's a, it's it's a form of self-love utter self-love yeah exactly. well that's what made me as you were describing that i could see how that then correlates with what we just said because if it is you know to love love others as we love ourselves actually is there a sense is this where you're going i guess the well, I, don't, I don't know if i'm going where you think i'm going <laughs> well i'm gonna i'm gonna put it out there for the sake of our listeners yeah like me uh but you can then uh, correct but correct where i might straight off passionate erotic love the preference love or like for like put it that way yeah. like for like love it pretends to be, or it uses the language of like forming a really good layer of society. Like if you could, you know, this is the way countries work. Like we, we want to have people as much on the same page as possible. Patriotism, yeah. we want to be able to say, we're all in this together. And it uses the kind of language of like expanding the borders to include lots of people. But the reality is you're actually excluding lots and lots of people. So yeah. by drawing the border really tightly, you're now saying, we are the ones who are as much like us as possible, and anyone outside of that is less human, essentially, or less important, or less yeah. worthy. So, yeah. so that's so. So Kierkegaard points out that like like for like love is actually it pretends to be a really expansive thing, but actually it's always excluding, and it excludes way more people than it includes. As you said, um, some of that exclusion is a good thing, though. Well, it's normal. It's natural. And it leads to all sorts of, it's important. It leads to important things. The problem is, is that the kind of love that Jesus and is, is asking of, when he says, you shall love your neighbor, is that this is, the, this is God's love. The other side is agape love. Yeah. So you've got erotic yeah. love and you have yeah. agape love. Yeah. And agape love is the love that unlike shares for unlike. So it's the kind of love that exists between beings that are not similar and it's not based on the similarity between them which by the way is god <laughs> so yeah. god loves humans not because humans look like god yeah it, god god's love for anybody is because god is the only god that exists any love that god has is agape love it's unlike for unlike and would i be right in saying that that is the kind of love when when jesus says greater love has no one than this that they lay down their life for their friends so when is jesus it, yeah that so, kind of love so the love that jesus commands like you shall love your neighbor for example is uh 
it actually has to do with you're not loving the people. It's a self, it's not self-interested, it's selfless. So you're not loving somebody just because what they give back to you. Yeah. And Kierkegaard makes a distinction, for example, between that co-nationalist and your neighbor, like your neighbor and your not your the one who shares your nation is not the same as the one who shares your neighborhood. Yeah. Because our neighborhoods are actually, if you think about it, they're actually filled with people who aren't like us. Yeah. Yeah. They don't look like us or sound like us. Yeah. And those are the ones we're supposed to love. Uh, your enemy you're supposed to love. And if you think about like uh, in, in Matthew 5, uh, we already have this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, because God causes it to rain on everyone. Mm -hmm. If you love those who love you, if you have like for like, what reward is that? Don't even the tax collectors do, don't even the sinners do that. Yeah. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anyone else does? Do not even pagans do that. Godless people do that. I want you to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I don't want you to practice like for like love. I want you to practice unlike for unlike love. And, and the interesting thing about that is that when I've ever heard the idea that we should love our neighbor. Yeah. I've actually translated that in my head, at least, to be about those that are near us. In other words, those and, and obviously he does mean that. But yeah. my instinct is to think those that are like me, that's where I go. In yeah, my I know, right? process. Yeah. Because we think of our neighbors as well. They're of a similar, maybe socioeconomic, or we think we automatically just translate the people that are nearest to us and therefore most like us. But you're yes. absolutely right that our neighbors actually are much more to do with the people that God has placed around us that we have no choice about who right. are different from us. And also, so then somebody like Kierkegaard is really clever and he's saying, well, what about John's wife? What about the person who looks like you and sounds like you? How are you supposed to love them? Because there's a lot of them in our life too, right? Like erotic love is a real thing. It's really important. So this is where Kierkegaard says, yeah, I'm not, we're not saying there's no such thing as erotic love. What we're saying is the kind of love that God commands you to have is not erotic love. So you are meant to love your wife as a neighbor. Um, your fellow nationalist as a neighbor. Because the point is you're loving somebody not because they, you're getting something out of it. You're not loving somebody because, because they give you something that you need. We're going to practice and learn how to love regardless of whether we get anything out of it. Which is, which is why you can have a, somebody who looks like you and sounds like you and is part of an erotic relationship to you. And you're still supposed to love them as a neighbor, not as right so that's the and all he's saying is that's the kind of love that god is commanding well and I, I think it's it's a pretty good marriage tip as well yeah actually if if you are if you are investing in your marriage for what you can get out of it that's not that's not going to lead to a very happy marriage and, and in, indeed it's about what you can you love them and it is and, selfless it is self-giving and this is where you want to be treated this way yourself yes. when you go around the world this is where you treat others as you yourself would want to be treated. Yes. You don't want to be treated only based on what you are giving to other people. Yeah. You want to be treated worthy of love, regardless of what other people get out of it. Yeah. 
right? So you want your wife to love you that way as well, right? Yeah. So when you love others as you would let yourself want to be loved, it's not an invitation to selfishness. It's an invitation to empathy of like, not every, every human being wants to be loved for themselves, not loved as a means to self-fulfillment of someone else. If the world actually did operate like that, yeah, there would be an abundance of love that everyone was receiving. Right, because think of how we often work. It's like an extraction resource model. I mean, we even call we call it a, a department of human resources. You know, we think yeah. of we think of other people as just resources to extract something from to further our own aims. Yeah, which, by the way, in Philippians two, that that hymn that I talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that word at Harpagon, which is the exploit to use for your own advantage. And yeah. it says Jesus didn't exploit to use for his own advantage. Instead, yeah. he put a limit on his own self-will. Yeah. And this is partly what's going on here with this um, golden rule, right? Which is about like not forming your institutions and your societies based on like for like, but forming your habits based on unlike for unlike. So, so you talked about it as a golden rule. How, uh, I've not heard it spoken of in, in that terms. How, how's, how's that term come into being? Is it a golden rule for how we should live? Or simply for how we should love? Or... Well, this is how Jesus is saying this sums up, essentially saying this sums up the Sermon on the Mount. So, right. Um, and if you think about like the way we talked about, I don't know, uh, lust or, or ang anxiety, money, resources, or uh, violence, like you, you're often thinking here in terms of seeing other people as sources for your own self-satisfaction. Yeah. Or when you go into the marketplace, don't fast in public so that people will see you and praise you or don't don't give your giving in public so that people will praise you like the idea is don't go through the world looking for what are you going to get out of it from other people i guess yeah so jesus sums up the law and the, his law and the prophets we'll talk about prophets in a bit but jesus sums up his teaching by saying well this is the way it is is you go through life thinking that everybody has what can i pour out into other people rather than what can they pour into me yeah yeah I guess. Amazing. And so we call that the golden rule. We call that the, the simple rule. Yeah. So helpful. So we only looked at three verses today, but we've already covered a lot uh, in just with the one verse. I know it's uh, good, right? And so then, then, then it goes into the narrow gate, which again is a kind of a summation. And we can do this pretty quickly, actually. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Um, I, I guess what I, I often do this, but you know, I really want us to, to maybe unwean ourselves from the idea that this is some prediction of future judgment. Mm -hmm. That's always the way that I ever was sort of taught about I don't think people taught it. It just was in the air. You just picked yeah, it up. Okay. You, up evangelical. you just pick it up. It's a helpful distinction, actually. Yeah. When Jesus talks about destruction, he's talking about when you die, you will be judged and you will either be destroyed or you will be given eternal life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd love for us to unwean ourselves from this because if the kingdom of heaven is now, as Jesus says, then that also means the kingdom of man is also now or the kingdom yeah. of hell is also now. Yeah. Right? And I really want us to start to think a little bit about this. Like, it's not Jesus talking about future spiritual 
existence. What if he was talking about right now? And I would say right now, think about what kinds of people, uh, what, what are some of the majority common sense, popular ways of, li of living right now? What is our common um, majority popular attempt, uh, attitude towards money right now? Do, you know, how do we think about self-worth connected to income? What is the most popular, uh, what really gets people's hearts thumping right now when it comes to killing of enemies? And uh, during wartime or, 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 or who are our heroes? What kind of movies and films do we, do we yeah. have consistently pour money into? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are they presenting a vision of, of um, sal salvation through violent destruction of your enemies? Do, do the, does the hero become the hero once they have finally killed their bully? or pulled the trigger at the end, they overcome their cowardice and they achieve redemption through violence, right? You know, is that, that seems to be a pretty popular way of thinking about it. Um, what is a popular vision for sex and for uh, sex as self-fulfillment rather than other fulfillment? So yeah. sex is what I get out of it rather than what my yeah, yeah, partner yeah. gets out of it. Uh, you know, what are, what is the popular forces that run our world today? Resource, like the world as, as a source of resources to extract from and to use in the short-term way. Yeah. So now you go and say, all right, that's the broad way. That's what everyone's doing. How's that working out for you? Is this a life? Do you think right now in 2021 <laughs> that the, the broad way is a life of fulfillment and fruitful flourishing? Or is it a life that's leading to destruction? Are we filled with people who are flourishing and really finding their, their, their fulfillment and their self-worth? Are we finding peace on the earth? Mm -hmm. Are we finding people living in shalom and harmony with nature? Are we finding a situation in which there is no poor amongst us? Is our violence solving violence? Is our sexual relationships leading to long lasting, fulfilling partnerships? And if it's not, then you say, well, it looks like broad is the way that leads to destruction. <laughs> yeah, right? that's, that's really beautifully put. I think that's that, yeah. So Jesus yeah. is saying like narrow is the way that leads to life. Like not very many people are doing this. And yeah. of course, he's saying his way is the way. Like he says, I am yeah. the way, the truth. Yeah. Right? So it's not some far distant future judgment that you've got to watch out for. It's just look around you right now. How's that working out for you? Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think when it comes to conversations around those things, framing it in terms of what leads to life and what leads to destruction is a much more fruitful foundation from which to have some of the more challenging conversations with those that might choose to live a different way because we're not saying this is about necessarily right or wrong but in a, in its in a kind of abstract moral sense but, but it's, it's much more about guy like how like you said how's that working out for you yeah yeah oh uh, well actually this relationship isn't 
great. And in fact, the relationships before that are, in fact, Jesus lives this out, doesn't he? Of course, the way yeah. he says, says to the woman who's caught in adultery, you know, you're right when you say, you know, well, who is there left to condemn you? And she says, no one Well, go and sin no more. You know, and then the other woman at the well, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you know, yeah. the guy you're with it right now, you know, there's this kind of sense in which he says, go and live a different way because it leads to destruction. You're not happy. Yeah, it's not a good life for her. It's not working out. No. But of course, that woman is stuck in a world in which she's she's forced. She's not like this free agent who's willfully going around divorcing men, yeah. by the way. You know that a woman can't divorce a man. No, you can't. Yeah, exactly. So she's been abandoned five times. She hasn't divorced. She hasn't like, she's not some brazen hussy who's going around willfully sinning. Yeah, she's that's... been rejected five times and she rec- she needs a man in order to live. Yeah, because of the world she lives in. So this is why a lot of a lot of sin. This is where evangelicals and their individualism they just get it wrong. And this is why you get so many people. They think that racism is all about your heart, only about what you feel in your heart. Or they think that these sins and these evils of the world or poverty is only if you are personally lazy and you've made bad choices in life. Now you are poor. We've just completely individualized it. Yes. We've completely forgotten that sin, bro- the brokenness of the world is a result of people being born into a broken world in which all their options are bad options. So part of the problem is not to point at somebody and go pull your socks up and just be a yeah. better person. It's we need to create a world in which the options are not all bad. Yeah. Which is the Sermon on the Mount. This is a it's inst- it's creating relationships and institutions and movements that are themselves based on agape not based on passionate preference so this is part of this thing like the movement that jesus is starting he calls it a kingdom he doesn't call it your personal self-help moment he calls it the kingdom because it's something that we're the idea is we're trying to build something that when you're born into it you actually have your part you've already started with something healthy right so i think that we need to pay attention to that too yeah and i think that's right and i think the idea of the kingdom of course is is doesn't mean all that much unless you think of it as a corporate entity a a, a movement of people um and of course that's what jesus in verse 12 is calling us to he's going and and indeed in the following verses where he says narrow is the way well that'll be that is narrow it'll be made up of people a group of people that are following a certain direction this isn't an individualistic path uh for one person it's a corporate movement yeah and i'm glad you brought that up because in fact as we uh, we're coming into land aren't we because we're going to get ready for the next section which is about the prophets and i would like to point out that the word for narrow the greek word for narrow shares a connection to the word for persecution okay have a similar similar root because the reason the thing is narrow is because it's unpopular if you, the broad popular way is everyone's marching in one direction. The narrow person is moving in a different, in the opposite direction. And so yeah. they're fighting against the crowd. Yeah, 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 yeah. So narrow and unpopular are connected here. Yeah. And of course, when you're, when you're fighting against the crowd, another way to talk about that is you're being persecuted by the crowd. You're, yeah. The persecuted people are seen by the crowd as the enemy that must be, the, the virus that must be stamped out. Yeah. The yeah. foreign element that must be purged. Okay. So uh, bear in mind that Jesus says the true prophet is never welcome in his hometown. And let us set that up and say that the narrow way 
being unpopular and being persecuted as a prophet are all connected. And then we met, we'll leave it at that and we'll get ready for the next session. Fantastic. Well, we're going to finish a slightly shorter episode today right there because we wanted to focus just on those uh, handful of verses before we get into uh, the whole area of of prophets, false prophets, and indeed what uh, Stephen has just set us up for. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leaving a good review on your chosen podcast platform. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tentheology.com.